0: Early on in Warren Buffett's career, he partnered with somebody named Charlie Munger. And one of the most important things that Warren Buffett learned from Charlie Munger was the concept of a moat, having an enduring competitive advantage with your business. Charlie Munger has had a big impact on
1: me in moving me toward looking for wonderful companies at fair prices rather than fair companies at wonderful prices. And that was enormously important because it enabled Berkshire to scale up in a way that would have been impossible to uh, do otherwise.
0: Yep. What are the key indicators you look for within companies before making an investment?
1: Well, I look for something that does give them a
0: motor, Rob. When Warren Buffett is asked about the different things he looks at with potential investments, the very first thing that he highlights is a moat.
1: We have a company called Seas Candy out on the West Coast. Seas Candy is boxed chocolates. If you give a box of sea chocolates to your girlfriend of the first date and she kisses you, we own you. You know, I mean, we we can raise the price tomorrow. I mean, you'll buy the same box. You're not going to fool her out with success. So the key there is the response. You do not want to go home on Valentine's Day and say to your wife or your sweetheart, preferably they're the same person, you don't say, here, honey, I took the whole bid. It doesn't work. Price is, to a degree, is immaterial. If you've got an economic castle, people are going to come and want to take that castle away from you. And you better have a strong moat. You better have a knight in the castle that knows what he's doing.
0: Buffett highlights the concept of a moat with Seize Candy, a company that has a competitive advantage because of its brand name. Because the brand name, Seize Candies, is part of what people are paying for. Now, the concept of a moat, again, is not something that's just an ancillary part of what he looks at. It's not some secondary trait. In terms of investment opportunities, this comes before every other characteristic. Warren Buffett highlights again and again that the primary aspect he looks for in an investment is the moat.
1: The most important thing you can, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a a business with a wide and long-lasting moat around it, uh, surround, uh, and w- protecting a terrific economic castle with an honest lord in charge of the castle.
0: Buffett has continually compared companies to Castles, saying that they should have good leadership and they should have that nice moat around them, that physical barrier of either a ditch or full of water, something that prevents your enemies, or in this case, your competitors, from coming in and taking what you have, making it so it's more difficult for them to siege you. You want a competitive advantage. Now, the concept of a moat has been widely adopted by the investing world at large. In fact, large analysis firms like Morningstar use economic moat, as one of the key ratings in their analysis. They give, for instance, Amazon a wide economic moat. And economic moats have been studied and written about in financial literature. Investopedia has multiple articles on the subjects and videos explaining all the intricacies of a moat. But what if there's something better than a company that has a large moat? What if a company doesn't need a moat because it has no competitors? Peter Thiel has been advocating this concept for a long time, but it hasn't gotten as much media attention.
2: If you're a founder or entrepreneur, What you want to aim for is monopoly. You want to aim to build a company that is one of a kind uh, and that it's so far um, differentiated from the competition that it's not even competing.
0: Peter Thiel believes that companies should not be aiming to have a competitive advantage. They should be aiming not to compete at all. Every company's goal should be to have a monopoly. And every investor's goal should be to invest in monopolies. Back in 2015 and 16, Peter Thiel gave multiple speeches stressing the importance of trying to avoid competition altogether. Focus your efforts on companies that don't compete.
2: Because if you have a unique business that does something nobody else is doing, um, you have something um, that is a monopoly, at least for a while. And uh, and my claim is that everybody who is a founder, an entrepreneur, an investor, an early employee in these companies, you always want to aim for monopoly.
0: Well, this is an entirely different approach than Warren Buffett's. Warren Buffett's is to compete, but have a large competitive advantage, have a large moat. Peter Thiel is advocating to avoid competition altogether. Don't focus on having a moat, focus on having a monopoly. The Wall Street Journal at the time summarized Thiel's thoughts, saying that, quote, Competition is for losers. If you wanna create and capture lasting value, look to build a monopoly. Now, luckily for us, Teal highlights some examples of companies that are fiercely competitive and examples of ones that are monopolies.
2: You don't want to have um, crazy competition. Um, and, so, and so I think that there's sort of a conventional view that capitalism and competition are synonyms, and I, I, I believe the opposite is true. I believe capitalism and competition are antonyms. I believe a capitalist is someone who's in the business of accumulating capital. A world of perfect competition is a world where all the profits are competed away. Um, if you want to, if you if you just love competition, if you want to compete like crazy, you should just open a restaurant in San Francisco. Um, I was actually talked into doing this uh, once. Uh, it was one of the you know, worst ideas, uh, worst ideas ever. And um, you will get lots of crazy competition, but uh, you will uh, you will def- you will you're very unlikely uh, to, to, to make any money because it's going to be completely undifferentiated.
0: He highlights the restaurant industry as one of the examples of perfect competition. Restaurants face fierce competition, and they have very little that differentiates one from another. Now, here's the opposite. Here's the example he gives of a monopoly.
2: And then sort of the the paradigm I give of a successful monopoly business uh, in Silicon Valley is, um, is, uh, is, is, is Google, where it definitively distanced itself from all the competition back in 2002. Um, uh, uh, Yahoo, Microsoft in particular, and it's been making enormous amounts of money uh, ever since.
0: Now, Peter Thiel gave this speech back in 2015, and he highlights Google as one of the companies that has a near-perfect monopoly. You can see the returns of Google compared to the stock market. The blue line is Google's price, and the yellow line is the S&P 500. So we have two different narratives here. We have Warren Buffett, who demands a lot more media attention than Peter Thiel, and Warren Buffett is always advocating to find companies with an economic moat. This is the primary thing that he says that he looks for. And An economic moat defined by Investopedia is having an advantage. A company has a competitive advantage that protects its market share and profitability. Meanwhile, we have Peter Thiel for the past five to 10 years saying to avoid competition altogether and invest in a monopoly. And a monopoly seems preferable to a moat. A monopoly simply having a dominant position of an industry to the point of excluding all other viable competitors. The truth of the matter is monopolies are superior to moats. They're better. It's a better business quality to have to own a company and an investment that has an outright monopoly. And the reason that I believe that Peter Thiel has not received as much media attention as Warren Buffett and monopolies haven't received as much attention as moats in the investing world is because it's not as PR friendly to say that a company has a monopoly. It simply looks bad from a public relation perspective. So Warren Buffett is fine publicly saying that he has companies that have a competitive advantage, but that's not really what we should be looking for. We should be looking for companies that have such unique products that run in their own lane to the point of having an outright monopoly. And there are companies in the market right now That have outright monopolies in fact there's many parts of many companies that have what i would define as a monopoly apple has continually faced allegations of having a monopoly power over the iphone over the distribution of apps over the profits that are gained in the app store they have monopoly power over the payment solution that's within their app store this is a battle that's been going on forever and apple will be the first one to tell you that they are highly competitive business, that they face fierce competition. They'll highlight all the many other app stores in existence and they'll say that we don't have a monopoly. No such monopoly exists in Apple. Look how Tim Cook responds to the simple suggestion, the assertion that Apple may have a little bit of a monopoly in some segments of their business. The government is looking into big tech, essentially whether companies like Facebook, Google and Apple are too big. Is Apple too big? no i, I don 't think so. I think that with uh, but with size, I think scrutiny is fair. I think we should be scrutinized. Uh, but if you look at our uh, any kind of measure about uh, app, is apple a monopoly or not i don 't think anybody reasonable is going to come to the conclusion that apple 's a monopoly. nobody reasonable would ever come to the conclusion that apple's a monopoly. You have to be completely. Well, you have to be a jokester to think that Apple would have a monopoly with any portion of their business. No reasonable person would come to that conclusion. Our share is much more modest. We don't have a dominant position in any market. You know, our share of of smartphones in the U.S. is typically in the high 30s or so, mid 30s. On PCs, it's lower than that. Um, and so on and so forth. and so, on. so you're saying you're not a monopoly? We are not a monopoly. Tim Cook reassures us that they're not a monopoly, and he also downplays the market share that Apple controls. Now, of course, Apple's not the only company where the suggestion has been made that they may have some form of a monopoly within their business. Amazon also just recently has had the suggestion made that they may also be a little bit of a monopoly. Here is the new CEO responding to these allegations
2: what is your response to that framing and that messaging of what's going on in the economy?
3: Well again each of these companies and each of these businesses are very different from one another so that term of of big tech uh, never really resonates for me Mm because technology is really a delivery mechanism and our business is very different from Apple's business which is really different from Google's business which is really different from Microsoft's business and Facebook's business so they're all different and I think that when when you look at um whether a company is a monopoly or not, you know, the first thing you look at is, you know, what kind of market segment share they have. If you look in our retail business, our retail business is just about 1% of the worldwide retail market segment. So it's, you know, it's, it's nowhere close to a majority share.
0: Amazon's retail segment is 1% of the worldwide retail segment. That is the total opposite of a monopoly. Amazon's just this tiny little retailer, 1% of the entire world. How could you ever make the assumption that Amazon ever has a monopoly when they only control 1% of retail?
3: And uh, usually monopolies are, are you you kind of look at monopoly power when you have the power to increase prices in an unconstrained way where there isn't competition. And If you look in our businesses, all of them, and again, I'll, I'll just start with retail, we compete with very large companies. These are companies like Walmart and Target and Kroger, and you know, and, and some very um, successful digital companies like eBay and Etsy and Wayfair. And we don't have the ability to to raise prices in any kind of unfettered way. In fact, if you look at what we normally do, we're constantly taking prices down because there's a lot of competition in these markets. So.
0: Jassy lists off the numerous fierce competition that Amazon faces within the retail space with all these other big retailers. And he also emphasizes the point that they don't use monopoly power, like a monopoly power should be used to jack up prices. In fact, Amazon lowers prices for everyone. That's one of the key things of their business is saving you money. Now, moving on to Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg also explains how they're not a monopoly. Look at how much competition Facebook faces.
2: In many areas we're behind our competitors. The most popular messaging service in the US is iMessage. The fastest growing app is TikTok. The most popular app for video is YouTube. The fastest growing ads platform is Amazon. The largest ads platform is Google. And for every dollar spent on advertising in the US, less than 10 cents is spent with us.
0: Well, that sounds pretty convincing from Zuckerberg here. Clearly, none of these companies are monopolies. Tim Cook says that you're unreasonable to even come to that conclusion. Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, says that they only own 1% of retail. And Zuckerberg here says that Facebook faces a variety of competitors. Well, Peter Thiel also highlights this concept. He says that the biggest and most powerful monopolies in the world are are the ones where they're so adamant that they're not a monopoly. The more adamant a company is that they face fierce competition, the more likely they are that they're a monopoly.
2: Um, I think this question of competition and monopoly, there's sort of many different reasons. It's it's, it's sort of, I think, very underappreciated. You know, sort of there's always this nuance where the people who have monopolies generally don't talk about it, and the people um, who are in perfect competition? Pretend that they have something special. So, you know, if you if you're if you're running Google, um, your talking points are, you know, we're a we're not a search company, but we're a technology company, and we're competing ferociously with Apple on the phone and with Facebook on social and Microsoft on Office, and we're building cars and we're competing with the car companies, and we're just, so there's just like competition everywhere, and uh, we're not the monopoly the government is looking for. Um, and then, um, and then, if you were, say trying to open a restaurant in London, you would say, uh, you know, you're trying to get investors to invest in your restaurant. You will, um, you will say something like, well, this is a completely, uh, and, and then the investors will say, well, I don't want to invest in restaurants. It's a bad business. It'll lose money. And you'll say, no, this is a completely different restaurant. It's one of a kind. It's the only French Nepalese fusion cuisine in um, in London and in like uh, you know South Paddington or wherever. In some small area of London, and um, and, uh, and so you will again artificially define what you're doing in a way that's very different. And so, so I think this question always gets obscured by the people inside these businesses, and that's why it's this very important idea that's uh, much bigger than than we think it is.
0: Companies with the most competition are the companies that try to highlight how unique they are, and the companies that are really enjoying facing no competition are the ones so adamant that they face fierce competition. Now, one of the biggest arguments that Jassy mentioned for not being a monopoly, for Amazon not being a monopoly, is that they lower prices. You can't be a monopoly when you're not price gouging, right? That's the whole purpose of a monopoly, is to get to scale and then jack up prices, but Amazon isn't doing that. So how can they accurately be called a monopoly? Well, Peter Thiel also explains this phenomenon. He explains that Amazon can be a monopoly while still wanting to lower prices for consumers here's how they do it
2: amazon's probably a difficult one to go after on antitrust grounds because their whole goal is to make things cheaper of course you know this is always you say this is the plan is to monopolize you make things cheaper then you wipe everybody out and then you raise prices some point in the future um, but i think uh, i think probably the the th- it's sort of like walmart they're going to get to a very big scale and you have these enormous economies of scale walmart has a certain type of monopoly as well you know, and, uh, what's your view of what, what does Amazon have a monopoly on today um, well it's probably cheaper to buy books than in a bookstore so there probably are all these kinds of things where they've gotten to, to
0: these scale economies where it's it's gotten somewhat cheaper they Peter Thiel is correct on Amazon having a monopoly of books, but he underplays it a little bit. He says it's probably cheaper to buy books on Amazon than the bookstore. It's not only cheaper, but they control almost the entire distribution and publishing of books. If you ever want to publish a book, it's almost impossible to go around Amazon. You'd have to make extremely difficult and specific arrangements to avoid Amazon in book publishing. But book publishing is not the only place that Amazon has monopoly. It's in scale.
2: All the all the cheapness goes to the customers. They don't keep that much of it. And so they sort of keep reinvesting that in scaling. Uh, and scaling the business. It's still a very open question at the end of the day how much money they will make, but just like um, like all these other companies we talked about, um, Amazon's very high valuation is, is linked to the, the belief that at some point in the future, they will be massively profitable. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit unclear whether that's the case. By having that strong customer relationship, my credit card is on file with them. They and have the be, logistical infrastructure. So big. They'll be so big. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, this is back in 2016. Peter Thiel says that the idea with Amazon is to offer such a cheap product, to offer such low prices that they can scale from the benefits of mass scale. And eventually, it's unknown right now, but eventually they might become massively profitable. Now, during that interview five years ago, Amazon was making four bucks per share, about $4.50 per share during 2016. Now this number has gone up to $58.52. It went from $4 to $58 per share over a five-year period. That is astronomical growth, in earnings per share, despite the fact that Amazon still has the strategy of keeping everything as cheap as possible. Now, it's become clear to me that despite what companies say, what their CEOs say, or even what Congress says, there are companies in our market right now that have strong existing monopolies, and they'll continue to benefit from that for years in the future. I believe I own a couple of them. Big tech are certainly amongst them. We have Apple and Microsoft in my portfolio. I think both of these companies have different segments of their businesses that are accurately defined as monopolistic. They have huge market share, and it's almost impossible to even begin to compete with them at this point. But big tech is not the only category that I believe has a monopoly. Brands can power an existing monopoly for decades in the future. I don't think that Disney has the same type of monopoly that Google has. But having existing brands like Lucasfilm or Marvel, or just their namesake disney brand i think gives them a portion of a monopoly there's things competitors can try to do to drag away viewership but they really can't replicate the star wars universe disney will always own that and they'll always benefit from having that monopolistic product costco's another company that i do believe has a form of a monopoly it's true that amazon exists it's true that kroger's and other retailers exist but none of them really do what costco does there's not that many companies or any that I think is in direct competition of Costco. that has the same business model with the same experience. Costco has ran virtually an identical business for 40 years now. The charm of Costco is changing nothing, doing nothing different. In fact, they're keeping the same prices for their hot dogs and drinks. This is a monopoly when you can do the same thing over and over and over again and not have any competitors take share of your market. They can't do anything about your business model because you control the dominant share of what you're doing. Even in real estate, I think I'm buying a company that does have a smaller form of a monopoly. VG Properties owns Caesar's Palace, they're buying the Venetian, and they're buying all of MGM's properties. That is basically the entire Vegas Strip minus a couple different properties. VG is going to own gambling real estate in Vegas. And the gambling license that the state gives stays with the location. It stays with what Vici owns, the actual property. It doesn't move or change with the casino operator. So Vici owns, I think... Somewhat of a monopoly of real estate gambling within Vegas and a large portion of it in the U.S. There's not much you can do to compete with that. You can't simply open up new locations in Vegas. It takes years and tons of red tape to even accomplish that. In the fintech category, there's a couple companies that I think are massive monopolies. Visa and MasterCard benefit from being a monopoly in the same way that Facebook does. It's called network effect meaning that every additional user on your network adds value to the existing user base, making it therefore more difficult for new networks to take place. This is the reason that Facebook has never been replaced by another social network and likely never will. They are unstoppable at this point, and Visa and MasterCard have also accomplished that same feat. They are massive networks unlikely to be replaced. The government doesn't really say that they're monopolies because there's two of them, so they might call them a duopoly, but it's really the same thing. They control a dominant share and they benefit from not having to face any real competition. Now, monopolies don't have to last forever. There's some companies that have had monopolies in one category, and there's been such disruption that their monopoly has been lost. But most of these companies, while they're monopolies, enjoy massive economic benefit during that time period. Now, unfortunately, not every company in my portfolio is a monopoly. I have to be Honest with this. If I go to the restaurant and delivery category, Thiel highlighted that the restaurant industry in and of itself is fiercely competitive, and there's not much that distinguishes one company over another. For instance, I have Texas Roadhouse. This is a well ran establishment, it's a well ran restaurant. They have very minimal debt, they have a lot of cash, they're growing maybe 15% per year. But I have to agree with Peter Thiel the amount of monopoly that something like Texas Roadhouse can have is very minimal. They might have a little bit of an edge with branding and restaurant design. Maybe they have some scale economics that they can benefit from, but it's not anything like the likes of Amazon or Google. Texas Roadhouse will never generate the returns of a true monopoly. So now when I look over my investments and new potential stocks to add to my portfolio, I'm going to incorporate this question even beyond a moat, does this company have a monopoly? And the preference would be to invest in a company that has at least one segment of its business, one property that is a strong monopoly. So I've been doing this to some extent. I look for companies that have unique properties that are unlikely to be replicated, and I invest heavily in those companies. But now I feel like I understand this entire concept more. I'm looking past the moat into the monopoly. I want companies that are so unique, so good at what they do, that they drive in their own lane, that they essentially face no real competition. And as I go through looking for new investments, that's going to be a large emphasis, focusing on companies that don't just have good moats, they have an outright monopoly. So that's all for this episode. If you want to see my entire portfolio, there's an updated link in the description. Other than that, I'll see you in the next one.